Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was February 20th, 1902. A child by the name of Ansel Adams was born to Olive Bray and Charles Hitchcock Adams in San Francisco, California. Adams would turn out to be a renowned landscape photographer and a crusader for wilderness conservation. Adams was born into a wealthy family as his grandfather was a successful timber baron. But his family fortune took a hit in 1907 after a financial crisis in the United States, and they struggled trying to recoup what they had lost. As a child, Ansel had a hard time at school. He was kicked out of several schools for bad behavior, so he started taking lessons with private tutors and family members at age 12. And early on, he was drawn to music. He taught himself to play the piano, started taking piano lessons, and had no problem focusing his efforts on training to become a professional musician. But playing the piano was not the art form he would eventually become famous for. Adams was already smitten with nature. As a child, he took long walks around Golden Gate, hiked the sand dunes, and went to the beach, among other escapades in the outdoors. In 1916, Adams visited Yosemite National Park for the first time. He had read the book, In the Heart of the Sierras, by James Mason Hutchings, and persuaded his parents to take him to the park. And he was immediately taken with the landscape. On that trip, he would take pictures of the scenery with the Kodak Number no. 1 box brownie his parents had given him. And from that point on, Ansel would only dive deeper into his love for nature and photography. In 1919, Adams joined the Sierra Club, an organization that promotes outdoor activities and advocates for environmental protection and preservation. He became super active in the club, and his first published photos and writings were released in 1922 in the club's bulletin. Adams soon became the trip photographer on high trips, or wilderness excursions that the Sierra Club hosted every summer, uniting his passions for the great outdoors and photography. In 1927, Ansel climbed 4,000 feet to get to the spot where he would take a photo called Monolith, the face of Half Dome. Adams would call the photo his first visualization, or the first time he attempted to convey his feelings and vision in a photograph. Ansel would write, I saw the photograph as a brooding form with deep shadows and a distant sharp white peak against a dark sky. That photo would turn out to mark a seminal moment in Adams' life and career. Adams still had an interest in music, but by the late 1920s, he began to focus more heavily on his photography projects and formed relationships with people who influenced his artwork. Patron of the arts, Albert M. Bender, encouraged Ansel to keep pursuing photography and provided Ansel with the funds to do so. In 1928, Ansel married Virginia Best. That same year, 
Adams had his first solo exhibition at the Sierra Club's headquarters. Ansel also began traveling to the American Southwest to work with writer Mary Hunter Austin, and they published the book Taos Pueblo in 1930. Adams had been practicing pictorialism in his work, using soft focus techniques, filters, and heavy manipulation. But in 1930, he met photographer Paul Strand, whose work influenced him to pursue a style called straight photography, where the focus is sharp and scenes do not appear manipulated. This would be the style he would go on to champion in later years. Adams said the following in his essay, A Personal Credo. A great photograph is a full expression of what one feels about what is being photographed in the deepest sense and is thereby a true expression of what one feels about life in its entirety. And the expression of what one feels should be set forth in terms of simple devotion to the medium, a statement of the utmost clarity and perfection possible under the conditions of creation and production. That will explain why I have no patience with unnecessary complications of technique or presentation. Over the years, Ansel and his work gained more popularity, and he collaborated with more artists. He joined a group called F64 with other noted photographers, and though it was short-lived, the group brought straight photography to the art world's attention. Adams had his first New York show in 1933, published his first series of technical articles in 1934, and launched his first widely distributed book in 1935. He worked long hours and has been described as a party man. But as the story goes for so many artists, just because he was so popular didn't mean he was making the money to match that. He took commercial photography jobs throughout his life. Adam's technical mastery and artistry were set in stone. He went on to develop the zone system, a photographic technique to get proper exposure and development, and produced many technical manuals on photography. But he also fought for environmental conservation. He advocated for new parks, pushed back against unnecessary highways, and wrote letters in support of conservation to editors and politicians. His photos influenced public awareness on issues of natural landscape preservation. He even documented life at a Japanese-American internment camp. Ansel Adams died in 1984 in California, but his advocacy and artwork left an imprint for later generations of artists and environmentalists. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you're so inclined, you can follow us at TDIHC Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back tomorrow for more delicious morsels of history. Hi, I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a show that makes time travel a little bit easier.
The day was February 20th, 1805. American abolitionist Angelina Grimke was born. She's not to be confused with her great-niece, Angelina Weld Grimke, who was born in 1880 and was a writer who gained popularity during the Harlem Renaissance. The Angelina Grimke we're talking about today was a white Southern woman who was an activist and women's rights advocate. Grimke was born in Charleston, South Carolina, to a slave-owning family. She was the 14th and last child born to John Foshol Grimke and Mary Smith Grimke. Her father was a Revolutionary War veteran and a prominent politician and judge in South Carolina. Her mother came from a wealthy family that included governors. Grimke's family had a home in Charleston and a plantation in the country. Enslaved people worked the land, producing rice and cotton. They also worked as household servants. Grimke's parents were fully invested in following the dictates of white upper-class society in the South. Her father prohibited Angelina and her sisters from getting an education. Angelina was very close to her older sister, Sarah. As they witnessed the atrocities of slavery that their parents were complicit in, their opposition to the institution grew. In 1819, Sarah went to Philadelphia and New Jersey with their father, who was sick and seeking medical assistance. Their father died in New Jersey, but Sarah stayed in Philadelphia for a while and was introduced to Quakerism. Quakers are members of a religious group with Christian roots in mid-17th century England. They were largely concerned with human rights and often held anti-slavery views. Sarah soon joined the Quakers, returning to South Carolina briefly before she moved to Philadelphia. Following Sarah's lead, Angelina also became a Quaker. In 1829, after having difficulty advocating for the anti-slavery cause in the South, she also moved to Philadelphia. There, she joined the Philadelphia Female Anti-Slavery Society. In 1835, Grimke wrote a letter to William Lloyd Garrison, a founder of the American Anti-Slavery Society and publisher of the abolitionist newspaper, The Liberator. In the letter, she praised Garrison and wrote about slavery and abolitionism. Garrison published it without her consent, and it got a lot of pushback from the Quaker community, who did not approve of her radical support of abolitionism. Despite this disapproval and the fact that she had not asked for her letter to be printed, the letter gained national attention, and Angelina became more involved with the abolitionist movement. She read more anti-slavery texts and went to lectures. In 1836, she published the pamphlet An Appeal to Christian Women of the South, condemning slavery and urging Southern women to free enslaved people and pay them wages. She continued to write abolitionist pamphlets and speak out against slavery. Angelina and Sarah began giving anti-slavery lectures and organizing women's anti-slavery groups around the Northeast. They toured in New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts. Though many of their lectures were attended by women only, some of their lectures were attended by men and women. Their lectures were already controversial since they said slavery was anti-Christian, exposed the horrors of slavery, and criticized slaveholding Southerners and Northerners who were complicit in the system. But their lectures in front of so-called mixed audiences also fueled accusations of unwomanly behavior the sisters began to link the anti-slavery cause to the issue of women's rights. They continued writing and spoke at the Anti-Slavery Convention of American Women. 
even as their role as outspoken women in the movement was heavily criticized. Angelina married Thomas Weld, another abolitionist, in 1838. And the next year, the sisters published the book, American Slavery As It Is, testimony from a thousand witnesses. They also continued circulating anti-slavery petitions and attending meetings. But they stopped giving public lectures on the cause and retreated from the forefront of abolitionist activism. Angelina supported Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War and advocated for women's rights and suffrage after the war. She also helped run a couple of schools with Sarah. She died in Boston in 1879. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Have a hard time staying present as you mindlessly scroll through social media? Lucky for you, we're stuck in the past. At T-D-I-H-C podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our email address is thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you tomorrow, same place. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.